Shelley Schlender. This is an extended version of the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. It features Greg Frost, a scientist with the University of Colorado at Boulder, and with NOAA. In this extended interview, Greg tells us about natural gas wells in Colorado that are leaking twice as much methane and benzene into the atmosphere as official estimates have indicated. Methane is a potent greenhouse gas. Benzene is a carcinogen. The complete scientific study will be posted in the Journal of Geophysical Research. Let's listen in now as Greg Frost describes what their study of leaking methane is all about. Hi, I'm Greg Frost. I'm a scientist at NOAA and the University of Colorado Boulder. Greg Frost, you just did a study about one of our most valued energy sources right now in the United States, natural gas. We know that burning coal is dirty. When coal burns, 90% of the carbon comes out of the smokestack as CO2. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible greenhouse gas. Mm -hmm. We know that burning natural gas burns clean. It's less than 10% of what comes out of the smokestack as CO2. But you're telling us now, getting the natural gas out of the ground means that it makes more greenhouse gas than coal does. Right. So maybe I should back up and explain. Um, when you burn any kind of fossil fuel, natural gas or coal or oil, the main carbon-containing product is CO2, carbon dioxide. For the same weight of natural gas, you produce less CO2 for this and produce more heat than you do when you burn coal. Well, that's right. It's yeah. supposed to be a clean burning that's fuel. That's right. That's right. And now you're telling everyone at this time where we're trying to use natural gas more than ever, right. you're telling us that... So what? Because when you get it out of the ground, you create so much methane leakage right. that it is a huge problem. So that's the big question, right, is, is really um, how much is leaking out? Because methane, as a greenhouse gas, is a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is. So if a lot of the methane that you want to burn to make CO2 is, in fact, leaking out directly as methane, then that would reduce the, the climate effectiveness of natural gas. Is that what you're finding? Well, um, so I have to qualify that what we look at really is only how much, what are the emissions of it from a particular fossil fuel base, and we don't do the whole calculation on the climate. So I want to be careful to say what I know about is really the emissions from the Denver-Julesburg Basin. The Denver-Julesburg Basin, which basically is so Weld County. Weld County, correct, yeah, yeah, in the northeast corner of, of Colorado there, yeah. And no that's County. where uh, a large part of the oil and gas development in the state is going on, so... Well, other scientists have documented that methane is a powerful greenhouse gas, sure. so they can do those calculations, but what you guys are doing is measuring to see how much methane leaks out when you That's do right. just a regular old natural gas drilling operation. Mm -hmm. What we've done initially was to look at the air that comes off the basin, and um, NOAA has had a tower that's uh, located just outside of Erie, Colorado, uh, at the corner of Weld County there. And they've been making measurements from, since 2007 of gases like methane, greenhouse gases like methane and CO2. And what they noticed in that tower's data is that it looked a lot different from other sites around the United States that NOAA monitors because it had a much higher levels of methane and other uh, gases that are associated with um, oil and gas drilling, like propane, for example. Did NOAA have other monitoring stations near natural gas wells, or was this right. unique by being close to natural gas wells? Right. This is really the only tall tower site they had. They have an aircraft sampling site in Oklahoma, and they saw similar high levels. So that led them to think that maybe oil and gas um, production was having some impacts. So then what we did was to then go out with a, uh, a vehicle and, and put instruments on that vehicle in the summer of 2008 
to try to understand where the high levels we were seeing at the tower, could we identify those directly with specific kinds of sources like oil and gas development? So we measured lots of sources actually of methane, not only oil and gas development, but landfills and wastewater treatment plants and animal feeding operations. And what's nice about the measurements that were done is that there's a very characteristic chemical footprint. Along with the methane, you have these other compounds like propane and butane and, and pentanes that come out in a very specific ratio. And that's very indicative of oil and gas emissions as opposed to emissions from some other source. So we could use those to fingerprint or identify where the air was coming from. Oh, so Greg Frost, you're saying that if there was a feedlot nearby mm-hmm. and the cattle, if you'll excuse me, well, right. they were pooping yeah, right. and letting out gaseous emissions that's right. of methane. You could say, well, that was the cows and the cattle over there in the feedlot because right. that's their fingerprint. That's right. But this methane is oil and gas. This is natural gas, methane. Right. That's right. Yeah. And in fact, what what we found in doing this study is that the, the fingerprint that we see, and we actually see it at the tower, so we see a kind of a basin-wide sample when we measured at the tower because it's downwind of most of that development, what we see there is really a very um, consistent number, and it's very different from the ratios that we would see from other kinds of sources. In fact, it's very much indicative of what we'd see as raw gas that just, what's the gas that's actually in the ground before it's pumped out? And we know that it's very indicative of those same ratios because we see that um, in samples that are taken by industry and by the state of the raw gas in the ground, as well as gas that's held in um, tanks near the, the pumping site. So we have a good idea of what what those gases look like, that's essentially what we're seeing at the tower. Is this gas that is leaking from natural gas sites coming from that new operation called fracking, or is it coming from any place where you are drilling for natural gas? You know, that's a really good question, and I think with the data we have right now, we can't definitively say how much is due to fracking, how much is due to sort of conventional extraction techniques. What we see is the integration of all of it. I would just say that we can certainly trace it back to oil and gas development, We know from what's known from official inventories, official estimates, where the big sources of it should be. So we know that either these are leaks coming directly from the the wells themselves or from tanks that are right near the wells. Well, Greg Frost, could it be that Weld County is just an especially leaky place for natural gas drilling? We think that if anything, you know, Colorado has, has tried to actually put regulation and control on emissions from oil and gas development. They have been ahead of a lot of states in doing that. But it appears that they haven't been able to control emissions of all of these hydrocarbons. And in particular, it looks like there's still significant amounts of methane coming out. Do you realize how troubling this is when we have all this wonderful natural gas in the United States and there are plans from the Obama administration on down through everywhere to develop it as much as possible? And you're saying that if we develop this, unless we figure out how to trap the methane that's coming out, we could make global climate change worse than ever? All we can really speak to is what we can measure. And this is why we go and make the measurements, because we try to put hard numbers on these estimates. And they'll be left probably to others to figure out how this fits into the bigger picture and and in terms of trade-offs of different energy sources and and their impacts on climate. It is a stunning number. It well, is a stunning yeah. number because it's so high, well, so much higher than was expected. Yeah, and I should, again, I want to qualify. I mean, I think it's interesting that we found on average a number that was higher than what the inventory estimates suggested. But I think what was also interesting was that we found a very large range depending on what information we use. Because I should make sure it's clear that to your listeners that what we really measure in the atmosphere are ratios of different compounds to each other. And then we actually had to rely on some of the information 
from uh, industry and the regulatory agencies to understand what that meant in terms of the absolute amount of methane. And because of that bottom-up information having a large amount of variability and range to it, our result was very uncertain. So we found a range of somewhere between 2 and 8% leakage rate of methane from, from production uh, of natural gas in, in uh, the Denver-Julesburg Basin. What had been the estimate before your information came out? So official estimates were something slightly less than 2%. That looks like that's about the low end of our range from the information that we had available to us. Now, we would admittedly say that what we did wasn't the most direct way to arrive at these estimates of methane leakage. We're now pursuing other methods to get even more direct estimates that wouldn't rely on any of this bottom-up information from the inventories. Again, I should point out the way that we did this study was basically a study of opportunity. We hadn't really set out to find all these things that we did find, but it was rather we had the resources. We had a little bit of resources available. We had instruments available. You just happened to have this tower that you put next to what happens to be a fairly large group of natural gas wells. Uh, So the tower there was put in place for different reasons than to look at oil and gas, it's part of a larger monitoring network that NOAA operates across the world, in fact, to measure greenhouse gases all over the world and understand how they're changing over time. The strategy lately has been to put these towers now in the United States, and they're a bit closer to the sources than the previous stations had been. And so, yes, there is, it's more complicated to understand what they're telling us. And that's part of why we then went out and went and measured with a mobile vehicle to try to understand better, well, what is it that these tower that is sitting there measuring lots of things. What is it really measuring, you know, and why is it measuring what it's measuring? So, Well, you've just described two ways to continue the research. One is to yeah. put more towers up in different places, and the other is to go out with mobile vehicle sniffers right. that can sniff the air. Does everybody agree with how you arrived at these measurements, or is this being hotly contested right now? <laughs> hotly, I don't know if that's the right adjective. Uh, they've now been published in a, in a peer-reviewed journal article. So we had three expert reviewers on that journal article. We had a number of colleagues who read and reviewed our methods. So there's scientific validity there. There are always better things you could do or more things you could do. And, and I know that there are people you know, from various um, groups that are want to know more about what we've done and have some criticisms, and, and that's fair enough. That's what the scientific literature actually are for, actually, is if someone can find a different way or a better way to do it, they should do it and publish it. That's, that's, that's the way to do this, um, have this discussion. So. What are the oil industry scientists saying about your measurements? Well, um, they want to know more, um, and I should say that we had to have help from the oil industry to derive our final results that we did get because we didn't measure all the details that we needed just from our atmospheric observations alone. Now, one thing that we are doing currently is uh, the same. a lot of the same scientists were involved in a study now in Utah, in the Uinta Basin there, another fossil fuel basin. Um, and we're doing similar kinds of measurements with these mobile vehicles, um, detecting a lot more compounds. We also have an aircraft there, a small aircraft that's making measurements. And actually that small aircraft sampling will allow us to get a more direct number for the methane emissions and other emissions uh, without the use of some of this information from the inventories. And we plan to repeat that aircraft study out here in Colorado later on this spring. Now that we've understood better what the problem is and what the uncertainties are and how we've approached it up till now, we're approaching it with a lot of different techniques. I think we're getting better and better data on this, and that's going to help us reduce some of the uncertainties that came about from our first analysis. Is there any way to have a natural gas well be sealed up better so it doesn't leak so much methane? I think that there is an attempt in the industry and, and a lot of work in the industry to do what they call green completions, really trying to trap 
and capture as much gas as possible before it leaks out. If you're the industry, you don't want to leak out natural gas. That's your product. That's what you're selling. So it's to your advantage as well to capture as much as you possibly can because otherwise you're losing profits. But can they do it? I'm not an, an engineer. I'm not an oil industry expert. But I, I think that from what I've seen, they can probably do more to try to capture these leaks. The problem has been that there's probably not necessarily an awareness of how big these leaks might have been. It was only by doing this independent sort of study that we can kind of understand how far off our previous estimates might have been. So you have to do independent ways of analyzing you know, what's out there. You have to really go and measure it or you won't really know. I, I like to look at this in the most optimistic way possible, which is that given this new information, armed with that new information, I think that the industry can go back and use that to try to understand better what is different from what's reality and what we understand from our estimates. And so the industry has been saying, hey, no big deal. The leaks are less than 2% of leakage of methane into the air. Yeah. And that was the very bottom of the numbers that you found, your numbers basically went up more than four times as high as what the industry numbers are. And we've got a lot of these natural gas wells that need to be checked, right. and nobody's been checking them, really. Perhaps part of the problem is it's harder to check these than you might think, because, you know, in the Denver-Julesburg Basin, I think there's 20,000 such wells. 20,000. There's a lot. There's a lot of wells out there. And, um, and what happens after a well is retired? It can still leak, unless you know you take precautions against that sure that's right and there's many 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 miles of, of pipes and lots and lots of valves and lots of components and, and processing plants etc that's right one leaky pipe on the way from one well to wherever it's going mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways methane can leak even if your intentions are the best and you try to capture um, these emissions the best you can there's a lot to try to control there's a lot there's a lot of places where things can escape that you're not aware of so so I think what we're doing is trying to help industry. And I think, and I should also point out, we couldn't, again, we couldn't have done this study without the help of industry because we needed some of the information they could provide. And I should also point out they're helping to, to fund the work that we're doing in Utah. That's, it's a consortium of federal government money and money that's coming from the states and, and money that's coming from the industry, frankly. We get better results if we work as partners than if we work, you know, without any input from. So, and they have been helpful. They've let us go and sample at various facilities and They've shown us around. They've really tried to help make sure that we understand how they do what they do. And I don't want to paint them as villains. You know, they're, they're doing the best that they can. But uh, more information always tells you how to do something differently or probably better, right? And, and I think that's what we do. We bring new independent information that we didn't have before. And Greg Frost, you're smiling like a doctor who has just been telling a patient, you know, you have metastatic cancer, and we're going to try to do our best about this. And we, we know that we're on your side and we're on the team. And, hey, we're going to make it this be a good news thing. Well, you know, I, I think it is true that there, there are things we can do about this. This isn't as hard of a problem as some problems that are out there in terms of the environment. There are ways we can control these emissions better. And, you know, it's a matter of knowing, first of all, that they're perhaps not what we thought they were. And so then that allows us to go back and try to understand how to control them better. All right. So you're saying that they are worse than people expected, these leaks, and the implications are worse. You think there's a possibility with much stricter regulation that we may be able to reduce these leaks a great deal. Well, what about fracking? Because fracking, it means a lot more cracks in the earth, a lot more ways that things can seep out. Mm -hmm. That seems to me like it might be a little bit more complicated yet. 
Right. I mean, we, we have to understand, I think that what that says is that we need to go out and really understand then, you know, what are the implications? How is fracking different from sort of conventional um, extraction techniques? And I think we're getting much better data on that out in Utah right now because we're able to spend more time and really investigate this on a on a well-by-well -well basis. Now that we're aware of this problem and now that we're sort of focused more resources on it, I think we're going to spend more time in Colorado trying to understand that same question. As a scientist, I'm very careful to say what I know and what I don't know. And we don't have a lot of information on, on that specific issue. And I, so I, I wouldn't want to say too much more other than that because I can't say it with any kind of, um, you know, um, assurance. But. Well, it sounds like the good news, the silver lining in this is that there is a recognition that this needs to be studied a lot more because this is a major issue. That, that I can whole, wholeheartedly agree with. This one study, again, this study of really opportunity of almost by accident that we started to do this work. And, um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of societal benefit from that. Well, but you know, you say that this was discovered almost by accident. And one of the biggest implications of this is that with more regulation, with more requirement to make the wells not seep as much methane, it could become much more expensive. And for some time now, natural gas has been touted as a reason not to do renewables as aggressively because we have all this great natural gas right, right. and it's so clean and how it burns. Right. So why not just go natural gas and forget about solar, forget about all kinds of other possibilities for how to create cleaner energy? Right, right. More regulation might mean a lot more expense in how you do natural gas properly. Right. I, I can't tell you exactly what would entail to control these leaks better, but we think that the numbers are bigger and certainly more uh, more uncertain than what was previously thought. You know, once you know something, you can do something about it. And that, that's always a better situation than not knowing. We can start to have a debate that's based more on things that we can quantify that rather than less hard facts. <laughs> okay, so the things to be watching in the future are can we measure this accurately across the United States? Absolutely. Can we measure all of the places that something might be leaking? Absolutely, yeah. Can we figure out a way to keep the leaks from happening and go back and look and make sure that they're still not happening? That's right. All of those things are true, and those are things that can be measured. I think a lot of agencies and institutions have realized you know, that we can be monitoring these kinds of issues and, and that there's now, I think, a real swell of interest and effort being put into this. And then you, like the rest of us, will be watching the policy decisions about how right. do the costs of pulling natural gas out of the ground weigh up against the benefits of it compared with all of the other renewables out there, solar, wind power, geothermal, all of the rest of the things that are a little bit to the side right now right, right. because natural gas was going to solve it. Like everybody else, I can look at those policy debates, and there's others who could talk more to that. I hope that our information and, and all the information we're going to continue to gather can give good, hard information to that. I feel good that I contribute in that way to this effort. Good luck. Thank you. In your study, you also looked at the fact that there are carcinogens that are way higher than was expected leaking out along with the methane. The one gas we measured that was, is carcinogenic is called benzene, so that's an aromatic compound, and it's a naturally occurring substance with fossil fuel deposits, especially when you have natural gas in association with oil. You generally, you often have benzene as part of that mix. So we saw, um, we saw quite high levels of benzene being emitted from the oil and gas production region, and when we did our analysis for, as we did for methane, and um, estimated what the absolute emissions were, the leakage rate, 
uh, we found that it was higher than what official estimates of benzene emissions have been from this um, from these sources. Greg Frost, many people who live close to natural gas wells mm-hmm. have complained and been worried about the fact that the air stinks. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you could really smell the benzene so much, but but uh, you know it may be an indication of other chemicals that are associated with that. So we had a very limited set of compounds that we were measuring. Um, there are many other compounds that could be associated with the oil and gas development that they may be smelling. Methane is leaking out. It's odorless. The mm-hmm. benzene is leaking out. It's odorless. But there's other compounds that make it smelly that That's give right. a clue That's because right. they hang out with benzene and That's methane. Right. Either they're coming out of the ground or they're part of the process that extracts them. Do we know yet whether the emissions of benzene are higher in places where there's fracking than with normal natural gas drilling wells. Right. From our data, we can't we couldn't say that yet. Um, and uh, we're hoping that uh, with studies that we're doing now in Utah and, and more work that we do in Colorado, we could maybe ho- hopefully identify that. But for now, we don't have enough data to say. We just know uh, levels overall coming out of the Denver-Julesburg Basin from all oil and gas type um, production operations. If you heard somebody who lives close to a natural gas drilling area who said, boy, the air just doesn't smell good Mm -hmm. based on the data that you've seen, would you take that seriously and say, let's measure some things? Sure. I mean, that would be an indication to us. There's there's probably good signals to measure. It wouldn't really surprise me, I suppose. We just don't have good quantification ourselves on what's in there. Now, I should say the official inventories suggest what would be an error coming out, you know, from this kind of operation. We might suspect that if there's high levels of some compounds or higher than levels than expected, there might be higher levels of the other things than expected too. We won't really know that unless we go measure it though. That's the difficulty of this um, of this kind of a, an effort. You know, Greg Frost, you also said that some of this happened by accident. You happened to have mm-hmm. a tower next to an oil drilling area right. where you were starting to measure it and you went, wait a second. Right. What is it that we're seeing here? So that tower is really the result of my colleagues down the hall. But the, my colleagues in, in the one division there in the NOAA labs in Boulder have set up these towers all over the United States. And this particular tower had unusually high levels of these compounds. And somebody finally said, huh, what's going on here? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's. I think that's really uh, the simplest way to say it. And and then we want really the study that was currently, that's been published now, was to an attempt to further understand what those levels told us by going out and sampling at individual sources. What made this possible to do now rather than 10, 20 years ago? Is this just something that's been overlooked all this time? Or is there something about the technologies that you can do now that mean that you can be much more emphatically clear about Mm -hmm. saying, guys, this is coming from the natural gas wells? Right. You know, it's interesting you brought that up. We we actually talk about work that came also out of the NOAA labs from, uh, well, I guess it's been 20 years now ago. Um, in that study, they hadn't measured methane, but they measured some of the other hydrocarbon species. And they again saw high levels that they, they said were probably somehow uh, associated with natural gas. They thought that, in fact, they were part of the distribution network, so the, the actual raw uh, process natural gas, natural gas that comes into your house. Um, because they didn't have methane, they weren't able to necessarily identify this as the raw gas leaking out of the ground. So we think actually we've been measuring this for quite a long time. Um, and it was really this additional work of going on and sort of sniffing individual sources. It's really the work of the first author on this paper, my colleague, Gabrielle Petrone, of really pushing it that extra step, really trying to put all of these pieces together and really understanding 
how it all fit together and what she was seeing. So I want to make sure before this interview is over that I really give credit to Gabrielle. I'm, you know, I've helped her with this, but it really was her drive and her, you know, kind of stick to itness. She just didn't give up and she kept pushing it down the line and figuring out, well, what, what more can I learn? Gabrielle is not here today. I'm here today because Gabby is in Utah right now making more measurements. So. Yes, that's right. She is spending a lot of time in the oil fields that's right. getting information about natural gas. And, you know, the United States isn't the only place where this problem is occurring. Reschnell, yes. who is part of yes. your science group, yeah. gets the desperate job of watching how much greenhouse gas is coming from all over the world. Right. And he has mentioned that when Russia is in an economic downturn time, their methane pipes and their oil and gas pipes start to leak a lot. Mm -hmm. And that increases right. greenhouse gases. That's right. I mean, you know, NOAA has a network that's really worldwide, and they have some really nice measurements from the Forward Soviet Union from, from Russia, and they can see how things change with economic cycles, for example. I mean, we're indebted to really the work that the, the Global Monitoring Division at NOAA does. You know, they're the ones that are sending out the alert and saying, hey, we have to understand this better credit really here goes to that division of, you know, has done this careful, very, very precise monitoring over a very long period of time uh, in the face of, you know, um, difficult circumstances, you know, uh, economically, they continue to do this and they keep to, they keep doing more and more, actually. Meaning that NOAA has faced budget cuts and they still go out and measure. They measure sure. and measure. We work with the resources we have and we try to do, we try to make the most of those resources. And maybe if industry solves more of this problem in terms of leakage here in the United States, maybe it's information that might help some other countries with their leaks. Oh, absolutely. You know, measuring it here, uh, in part, it's, it's a measurement of opportunity because it's right outside our back door. But a lot of this information is extendable to other parts of the United States and perhaps even abroad. This is definitely information that we want to share. And that's why, you know, doing this as a scientific study, it is open to everybody and it is open. It's, it's information that's freely available. But if your oil well near your house mm -hmm. smells, call up your group and see well, if they can sniff it. Right. I, I don't know if we can go to everybody's house, but, you know, I, I mean, I think it is an indication that you should be concerned probably about what's coming out. And at least it's, a, it's telling you you're smelling something. So <laughs> you might want to learn more about what could be possibly in the air that you're breathing. I'm Shelley Schlender. Thanks for listening to this extended version of an interview we broadcast on the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth, in February 2012. You can find out more by going to our website, howonearthradio.org. Music